Welcome to Smarticus History. All right, enough with the echo and fanfare. You're here for history, right? And not that boring crap you learned in high school. This stuff's actually interesting. Like things you've never heard about the Civil War, Cleopatra, automobiles, Monopoly, the Black Plague, and more. Fascinating stories, interesting topics, and some downright weird facts from the past. It's a new twist on some stories you may know, and an interesting look at some things you may have never heard. So, grab a beer, kick back, and enjoy. Here's your host, Smarticus. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Smarticus Tells History. We all know that humans are great at conflict. We are far better at fighting than at being at peace. Our history is littered with war. Of the past 3,400 years, humans have only been entirely at peace for 268 of them. That's a whopping 8% of recorded history. In fact, we've been so busy battling that we haven't even had time to count our casualties accurately. Estimates for the total number of people killed in wars throughout human history range from 150 million all the way to 1 billion. We do know that at least 108 million were killed in wars during the 20th century. Naturally, there are a lot of interesting wars I could tell you about. Like the 335-year war between the Isles of Sicily and the Kingdom of the Netherlands that had no casualties despite lasting for over three centuries. Or the football war between El Salvador and Honduras that broke out following a qualifying round for the 1970 FIFA World Cup. But those stories are for another day. This week, we are going to talk about the shortest war in history. A conflict between the UK and Zanzibar that lasted, well, less than an hour. In August of 1896, Sultan Hamad of Zanzibar, an island off the coast of East Africa, died unexpectedly. Usually, the ruler of a small island country about half the size of the state of Rhode Island would be of little consequence to the outside world, but this was different. Sultan Hamad bin Thuwaini died under suspicious circumstances and his cousin, Khalid bin Bargesh seized power a bit too eagerly. Britain took note and unleashed the power of the empire. While technically its own country, Zanzibar has ceded its mainland territories to Germany, while the island became a protectorate of Britain. If you're not up to date on all your colonizing terms, a protectorate is a relationship between two states in which one has some degree of decisive control over the other. Basically, Britain allowed Zanzibar to maintain its status as an independent nation and keep its sultanate with nominal power. In return, Britain asked for two changes in policy, the abolition of slavery and a focus on restoring the island's mercantile economy. When Khalid's father, Bargesh bin Said, was sultan, he vehemently opposed this policy change. When Bargesh's health was failing, Sir Reynold Rod, a British diplomat, visited Zanzibar to assess the prospects of a possible successor. Despite having the most substantial claim to the throne as Bargesh's son, Khaled was not a contender. There was Kaled, son of Bargesh, a rather truculent youth of 18. There was Hamad bin Thwain, the son of brother of Bargesh, now dead, a man of about 40, of reputed high character and a student of Arab literature. And finally, there was Mahmoud, an elder cousin of the reigning sultan. End quote. Britain, of course, desired a sultan that would be their puppet, someone to support their policy changes and ease the transition with the people of Zanzibar. Khalid was not that man, but Hamad bin Thuwani could be. When Bargesh passed away in March of 1893, as expected, the British moved swiftly. 
Rod had made preparations for daily and nightly signals exchanged with HMS Philomel and HMS Blanche to pass the news of his death. 200 Marines were to be at the ready to ensure their desired successor was placed on the throne. Khalid was fast too, though. He entered the palace at the invitation of his aunt, the Sultan's sister, who was fond of the young man. He was poised to take his seat on the throne, but Rod ordered the landing of the Marines and the police were placed around the palace and the town. The Marines forced entry into the palace and removed Khalid, marching him back to his house under arrest while Hamad bin Thuwani was installed as the fifth Sultan of Zanzibar after accepting the conditions offered by Renal Rod. Hamad was acquiescent to Britain's wishes, but the people of Zanzibar were less than pleased with the amount of control their protector was enforcing. The Sultan was advised to raise a thousand-man militia to protect the palace, but Hamad wanted these men to be loyal to no one but himself, and it wasn't long before there were skirmishes between the palace guard and the British-led police. It can be assumed that Khalid was quietly stewing during this, having been passed over for his chance at the throne while his uncle had given in to the pressure from the empire that Khalid's father had so adamantly resisted. So, when Hamad died suddenly on August 25th, 1896, and Khalid immediately descended on the palace, the British were less than pleased and maybe even a bit suspicious. The British government wanted to decide who was in the Sultan's seat, and their choice was certainly not the openly defiant Khalid. British Consul Basil Cave and First Minister Lloyd William Matthews issued a warning to Khalid, think carefully about your actions. They cited a treaty from 1866 which stated that a new Sultan could only ascend the throne with British consent. And while the threat had worked to stop Khalid the first time he tried to take the throne, it was not successful the second time. Khalid began mustering forces in the palace square under the command of the palace bodyguards. The majority of the troops were civilians and included 700 Askari soldiers who were opposed to the British rule. By the end of the day, some 2,800 men stood ready to defend the palace. His artillery included a handful of Maxim guns, a Gatling gun, a 17th century bronze cannon, and two 12-pounder field guns. All were aimed squarely at the British ships in the harbor. Khalid also took possession of the Zanzibar Navy, which consisted of one wooden sloop built as a royal yacht for the Sultan. Consul Cave wrote the British Prime Minister, Lord Salisbury, asking, and I quote, Are we authorized in the event of all attempts at a peaceful solution proving useless to fire upon the palace from the men of war? End quote. The Prime Minister replied that they had his full support. Basil Cave assembled his forces in preparation. 400 Zanzibar loyalists and the Marines. At 900 strong, they were still far outmanned by Khalid's guard. A small contingent of sailors was sent to guard the British consulate, where British citizens had been told to gather for safety. Feeling his advantage in manpower and home turf, Khalid asked the U.S. consul, Richard Dorsey Mohan, to recognize his seat on the throne. But the U.S. consul replied, as his seat on the throne had not been verified by Her Majesty's government, it is impossible to reply. Meanwhile, British Consul Cave was still working on convincing Khalid to step aside. He wrote that ascending to the throne without British approval was an act of open rebellion and would be met with force. He offered an ultimatum. Instruct the troops to exit the palace grounds and surrender their arms by 9 in the morning on August 27th or succumb to British firepower. We have no intention of hauling down our flag and we do not believe you would open fire upon us, Khalid responded. We do not want to open fire, but unless you do as you are told, we shall certainly do so, Cave replied, and then he waited. 
An hour before the designation time of surrender, Khalid requested a parlay from Cave. A request that was ignored. At 9am, there was no signs of surrender and the British ships were amassed in the harbor. The palace, which sat directly on the waterfront, was within easy range for the ship's artillery. Rear Admiral Harry Rawson of HMS St. George ordered HMS Raccoon, Thrush, and Sparrow to open fire on the palace. The war had begun. The Zanzibar Navy sloop, the Glasgow, fired on St. George in retaliation and was sunk almost immediately. The crew hoisted a British flag in surrender and were rescued by British soldiers. Meanwhile, the other ships bombarded the mostly wooden palace with 12-pound cannons. The structure went up in a blaze of fire, mortar and stone showering the square. Within minutes, nearly 500 Zanzibar soldiers and civilians were killed or wounded. There was no semblance of an even fight, and the British were the apparent victors the moment they loaded their cannons. The exact number of minutes the war lasted is uncertain. The British bombed the clock tower, and most people were not wearing watches. A New York Times report the following day clocked the war at 50 minutes, but two months later said 30. The Guinness Book of World Records has the Anglo-Zanzibar War down at 45 minutes. Regardless, it was decidedly less than an hour, making it the shortest war in history by a long way. When the smoke lifted, the British discovered Khalid had fled. Some sources say he ran as soon as the British called his bluff. Others claim he remained in the palace for most of the shelling. Khalid sought refuge in the German consulate down the coast, which agreed not to turn him over to the British. Just hours after the fighting ceased, Hamad Mohammed was named Sultan of Zanzibar, installed exactly as the British had planned. Hamad promptly agreed to all the British terms, eagerly obliging to their request to abolish slavery as he looked upon the palace's crumbling remains. As for Khalid, the German consul in Zanzibar, Albrecht Val Richtenberg, wrote to British consul Basil Cave, I beg to inform you that my government has requested me to send Khalid to Dar es Salaam. The transportation will be carried out without Khalid setting foot on the soil of Zanzibar. The twice-attempted sultan was carried aboard the SMS Siedler to Dar es Salaam in German East Africa, where he received political asylum. He lived his exile there in relative comfort before being captured by British forces during the First World War. Khalid was exiled to St. Helena, the island where Napoleon himself had served in exile and then was later sent to Seychelles. In his role as Secretary of State to the Colonies, Winston Churchill arranged for Khalid and his dependents to reside safely at his property in Mombasa, Kenya. Khalid lived in Kenya until he died in 1927. His sons and daughters were eventually granted permission to return to Zanzibar, but never attempted to mount the throne like their father. The propped-up sultanate continued until Zanzibar gained independence in the 1960s, followed by the creation of modern Tanzania, which absorbed the tiny island. There were no further rebellions against the British during the 67 years they continued the protectorate. The British Empire had made its point, and one had only to look at the demolished palace, the mass graves, and compare it to the one British injury during the battle to know that Zanzibar did not stand a chance. It is almost a bit admirable and awe-inspiring that Khalid had the gall to claim the throne not once, but twice. And on a second attempt, he had looked down on the harbor where the British fleet sat. Cannons pointed directly at him and said whatever the Zanzibar equivalent was to, do it, you won't. Say what you will, but that is a sultan behavior if I have ever seen it. That concludes this week's episode of Smarticus Tells History. 
If you are interested in helping our podcast grow, please consider donating to the show at Smarter Castells History LLC on PayPal. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash History. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can do so with ease on Buzzsprout. Check the links in the show note to get started today. Thanks for listening to Smarticus Tells History. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review and make sure to subscribe. And be sure to follow the show at facebook.com slash History, or just click the link in the show description. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.